Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. We're excited you're here, and we hope today's message encourages you, builds your faith, and brings you hope for the future. May God bless you as you listen in to today's message. This message together, the title of it is Respond to Action. And if you ever notice, the first responders, what do they do? The first responders, as soon as they get the call, they never stop to say who it is, they don't care who it is. They never stop to say what time it is in the morning. That it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm not getting out of bed. Forget you, forgot you, the boogeyman shot you. They get out of bed and they go. They never say what's the incident or the situation. They respond to what's taking place. The first responders are always reacting to what's going on around them. But if you have your notes to listen, I want you to say a siren or a call are triggers. How many know they're triggers? They trigger you, and they trigger you in this, your emotions. How many know that when you hear a siren, your emotions all of a sudden get hyped up? Your adrenaline starts moving because all of a sudden you know that the siren is a warning that something's taking place. But then all of a sudden, not only your emotion, but then a feeling comes over you, and that feeling is a feeling of heaviness, maybe sorrow or brokenness, that something must be wrong or somebody might be hurt. And then also then is also the hearing, the hearing that, man, it alerts you that all of a sudden, man, when you hear that, you begin to have Mickey Mouse ears, that you're attentive. Maybe some of you, I know a lot of people here in Siren and around these areas, they got those police bands. They got those radios. And a lot of times I find out things that are happening in the community maybe before you do because they call me up and say, Pastor CJ, did you hear this on the radio, that, man, this is taking place? I said, no, I never heard it. How do you know? Because I got a police band at my house. I hear everything. But you know, they, they, they respond to those things in your life. I wonder what will happen when we get to heaven. You know, right now on planet earth, we have a responsibility to live our life out for God. That God, God calls us to live our life out for him, that, be, that he's the Lord and Savior of our life, that God, you're the Lord and Savior of my life. You transform me. You change me. You rearrange my heart. You take my heart of stone. You give me a heart of flesh. God, you do that in my life. But God doesn't want us to stop there. God wants us to be about the business of the kingdom. And I wonder when we get to heaven. I wonder when we get to heaven what God will say. Obviously, when we all accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and we announce our sin and we walk for him, we're all going to hear the words of well done, thy good and faithful servant. But there's a second part to what's going to happen when we meet Jesus. He's going to let us in, man, when we accept him as Lord and Savior. But I wonder what Jesus will say to us when we get to heaven. Not only well done, thy good and faithful servant, but Jesus could say this. Why didn't you go out and tell others about me? You ever think about that? Well, he's going to allow us in, and we're going to pass go, and we're going to collect our $200 or our crown of righteousness. We're going to do all that. But what about the second part of that? When Jesus said, why didn't you go about my business and do my work and tell others about who I am? If you have your notes, our life here on earth is not just to live for him. It's not just to live for him. That's easy. That I'm going to live for him. And, man, I'm going to profess you, Lord God, as Lord and Savior of my life. But here it says, but to go for him. In other words, go for him to tell others. To tell others. In Matthew 28, I love this story. And here it is. It's the Great Commission. It's the last chapter in Matthew. And every chapter all through the Gospels, it talks about the story. And you know the story leading up to Matthew 28, Jesus was whipped, he was flogged, 
He was crucified. He was buried. And all these things happened. They saw and they witnessed Jesus' death. They saw the cat of nine tails. They saw him hanging on the cross. They saw him the moment when he said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit. The people witnessed all that. But just before Jesus, once again, was crucified and was buried, he said these last words to his disciples. And many of you know, it says in Matthew 28, verse 16, he said, then the 11 went to Galilee. Now watch this. To the place or to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So in other words, they knew that something was getting ready to happen. They probably went there with expectancy of saying, hey, God's going to meet us there. He's going to have this great revelation for my life. He's going to speak into me. He's going to deposit into my life something exciting. He's going to read my book. He's going to tell me my future. Man, I can't wait to hear what God has to say. And they went with this readiness, this expectation that God is going to speak into my life. When we have evangelists comes and we watch online all these prophets and so on, we get excited about what the prophets and the evangelists are saying and how they speak into our lives. That's the same feeling that these disciples had when they went to the mountain to be with Jesus. But when they got there, watch this. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Why do they doubt? How can this man who was hung on the cross, who was whipped and beaten and flogged and then buried, be standing here in front of us? And be in front of us right now as living within us right now. How can that happen? How can that be? That's why Jesus said in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, where old death is thy victory, where old death is thy sting. Death has been swallowed up. Death has been conquered because Jesus has rose again and is alive within us right now. But watch this. This is so cool. Jesus didn't give them this great revelation. Jack, he didn't give them this great revelation that maybe that we were waiting for and anticipating. Here's what Jesus said. The very first words that came out of Jesus' mouth when the disciples see him and he rose again and he appeared before them, he didn't say, your life is going to happen like this, Heidi. This is going to take place in your life. This good God, I'm going to change this around. He didn't say that. Here's what he said. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Listen to that. Has been given to me. Then the Bible said that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The Bible even takes it further and says, the things that I have done, the things that I have done refer him to himself. You shall do greater things than I have done because of the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. He said, I've given you that authority. But then watch what he says. Something that probably just took the wind out of the disciples' sails. Waiting for this great wisdom, this great revelation. Here's what he said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You mean, wait, wait, time out. God, you mean I came up here, met you on the mountain, I'm exhausted, I need water, I was waiting for you to speak into my life, and you're telling me to go and make disciples? That's because 
Jesus said that because he wants none to perish. And his words were not about this, that, and the other thing, but it was about the harvest. Because that's what Jesus is. He's all about the harvest. And Jesus could have came back and said, hey, I rose again. I defeated death, hell, and the grave. I took the keys from that, and I did all these things. He could have said that. But what he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say in verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He chose to say, listen, what's dear to your heart is always going to come out of your mouth. What's in your is going to come out of you. The Bible says a good man brings good and good stored in his heart, and the evil man brings evil and evil stored in his heart. Out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth will speak, Luke 6.45. His mouth will speak. And what was in Jesus' heart, it was concern for the lost, that even though he resurrected and he's alive, he didn't come back to say that. He came back because he had love and compassion for the world. After all, the central theme of the word of God is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. God loved us so much that he laid down his life for us that through his life we can have life and life more abundantly. And God said, I come and ask, will you go leave the harvest? I, I love this. After his resurrection and proof of his life to his disciples, he gave them this instruction. Go and make disciples. So in other words, what he's saying, go, Sherry, and multiply yourself. Go, Donnie, as you're studying to be a pastor, Go and multiply yourself. Be the image of Christ that people will want what you have. Be the image of Christ that people can see what God has done in you. People don't care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. And they're going to see it in your life. They'll see it in you. But when I think of the word go, this is what go means to me. The word go means go. God, G, God, on, with his authority, word, and his instruction. That God, I'm going to God on for you. I'm not going to just sit on my blessed assurance and Jesus is all mine. I'm going to God on and do the work of you. I'm going to do what you called us to do. The last words that you said to us before you ascended to heaven, you showed yourself to us and you showed what's as dear in your heart to go and make disciples. God, I'm going to God on. God will never ask you to do something that he himself would not do. He was a marketplace messenger. 80% of the parables were written in the marketplace, remember? A people lover. He loved people. You see, the Bible says you love the sinner but you hate the sin. And he loved people. He didn't look at the color of their skin and how they looked and acted and whatever. He saw their heart and their condition. He loved people. But he was like, like 
and a soul restorer. He soul restored the brokenness of a soul that once was lost and now they're found by him. The last words of Jesus were not to get back at those who crucified him, but to restore them through you. You see, Jesus could have came back. Think about this. He just came over death, hell, and the grave. He had all the authority was given to him. He could have came back and in a twinkle of an eye smited all those people who crucified him, mocked him, and ridiculed him. He could have wiped them off the planet. But he loved them so much that he told the disciples, go to them who mock me, ridicule me, and spite me. Do you know somebody like that? Do you know somebody that maybe ridicules and mocks and laughs at Jesus? Maybe have rejected Jesus? Your job is to go to them like Jesus asked us. Not to smite them, not to ridicule them and judge them, but to love them to life through Christ. You see, I love this. You and I have a task. We have a task. That God has a task. A task is a project. A task is maybe putting something together. A task is putting our hands to the plow and not looking back and doing something with purpose, meaning, and constructive. That God gives us a task. You see, listen, what happens with many Christians, your relationship with God becomes boring because you're not doing the task that God has called you to do. You see, the Bible says those that win souls will shine like the stars forevermore. That when you win a soul to Christ, guess what? It brings joy. It brings exhilaration. It brings excitement. Why? Because you won one to Christ. I remember some time ago when my wife and I were out with Rich. And Rich and I, his wife, uh, we went to Cabo St. Luce. And at Cabo St. Luce, we went out marlin fishing. And I'll never forget this. It was the greatest time. And we went marlin fishing, and we were out, man, on the ocean there, miles away. And I mean, we're flying across the ocean. And there was a guy way up in the birdcage up there on the boat, and he was up there. And, and then a guy driving, another guy instructing us and talking to us. So there's three guys that were in the boat. And all of a sudden, man, we're flying across this water. And all of a sudden, the boat comes to a halt. And the guy in the birdcage says, over there, over there. And lo and behold, the moment we look over there, we can see the fin, which I didn't know it was a marlin, but it was. And the guy on the, the, that wasn't driving but the other guy grabbed the fish that was probably two feet long. And he hooked it to the hook, and he threw it in the direction where the marlin was. And, man, before you know it, bam, within 30 seconds, we lashed into that marlin. And I mean to tell you, I was in that chair, and I was fighting that marlin. My left arm, man, we fought it for 45 minutes, and my arm was dying. I mean to tell you, I'm like, Rich, take over, man. Take over. No, this is your catch. No, well, you take it. No. And I mean to tell you, I was dying. I was sweating. I forgot my right guard, I think, because I was sweating that bad. But you know what the cool thing was? What you don't know in those shows when you see a person catching a marlin, what you don't see is every time when you go like this and you let the line, that means the boat is actually backing towards the marlin. If they didn't do that, we probably fought that fish for two hours. So here we are. I'm reeling. Get them in. Let the line go. The boat goes. Let the line in. The boat goes. Finally, we get the thing in. And I'll never forget when that marlin was landed. 
Man, it was almost eight feet long, a hundred and some pounds. It was incredible. And man, I was so excited because we were set out to a task. And the task was to catch a marlin. And we got into the port there in Mexico, and it was amazing. And they have to put these flags up on the, on the port of the boat. And the flag represents a marlin that I caught. I caught a Gerardo. And so they put these flags up. And we're coming into the port, and it was the craziest thing. On both sides of this port, there were all these Hispanic people, both sides. And I felt like I was in a parade. They were clapping, yay, whoa, whoa. And I thought, man, I was a celebrity. Maybe I got my star in Mexico and not California. Thank you, Jesus. And they were cheering. And next thing you know, we got down this port, and the boat stops. And they take a rope, and it's probably three inches in diameter. I'm not kidding you. They take this rope, and they throw it out to the boat. And they take this rope, and they wrap it around my marlin, and they pull my marlin into shore. I'm like, hey, they just kidnapped my fish. And I had no idea because I couldn't speak Spanish. All I know is baño. That was bathroom. Thank you, Jesus. And they took my fish. The next thing you know, man, we're in there. The port, we cut open the, this garrado. Man, we were eating this garrado raw. It looked like a buffalo, what it looked like to me. And all these seagulls were flying around and everything. And I mean to tell you, finally when I got there, they had my fish hanging by the tail. And I got to take this picture of this fish and so on and so forth. But the point of what I'm trying to say is this. I could have missed that opportunity of catching that fish. But the whole purpose was to go out and catch the fish. And when I caught the fish, man, I felt like, boy, I was King Kong. I was on top of the world. God gives you a task. And when you catch a fish, you're going to be able to cheer and be excited because you did the work of the Lord. And when I caught my fish, I was cheering. I was excited, man. I was so happy, man. I caught a marlin that I can brag about now and all this stuff. It was just running through me. And I was thank God for that. So we have a task. Listen, the word can't is not in the vocabulary of Christ. How I many you know that? God says, no, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So when you say you can't, you need to reverse the curse and say, I can't. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're right, you can't do it on your own, but you can through Christ. You got to remember who's on your side. And if God is for you, who can be against you? And if God is in your boat, it's always going to float. Amen? I love this. You can do all things through Christ. So watch this. The task that God has. Number one, he gives us authority. The first thing you need to understand when you're out doing the task of the Lord, that God has given you the authority. In Matthew 28, verse 18, look what he says. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, all authority has been given to me. So what does authority mean? On your notes it says this. Authority means power to influence. That you have power to influence. I loved it when my kids were young. And when they were in elementary school, I could handle them and I could talk to them and I could tell them to do this and they would do that. But when they got to be teenagers, forget you, forgot you, the boogeyman shot you, right? I ain't doing that, Mom. I ain't doing that, Dad. I said, oh, yes, you are. I remember when I was growing up, going through my wild teenage days, my mom had one of those things. 
It was called Mom's Helping Hand. It was about this long. And it had a hand on it, big hand, just like that. And down the paddle, it said Mom's Helping Hand. And whenever I get out of line, she would help herself, whack, to my behind. <laughs> Blessed assurance. And I'm telling you one thing. I did what she told me to do. Amen? As right now, as parents, you have the influence of raising your kids to influence them to be right and do right. That's what influence means, to change things. You have the power and the authority to change things. Change things in your life, change things in others by through the power of God. And to walk with confidence. You know, when you have authority, you walk with confidence. When you have confidence, man, when I played basketball, I had confidence of knowing who I was. And so it gave me confidence. It made me feel good about who I was. My nephew, his name is Brian Gonzalez, and you can be praying for him. He uh, was just diagnosed. He has three major uh, spots in his body of cancer. So you can be praying for him. But anyways, Brian, just like Cliff, is a patrol officer. And Brian and I go fishing, and he comes to our cabin at our family reunion. And you know, Brian, when you're with him, he's just a normal guy. We have fun, man. I mean, we just laugh. We goof around. We talk about fishing. We talk about jokes. We even pass gas. <laughs> That's how normal he is, right? Don't eat the beans, right? The more you eat, the more you toot. He did, too. But we're just normal guys. Until... Brian, even though I know who he is and how we do things together, as soon as he puts on that uniform, automatically, man, something comes over me that, wait a minute, whoa, he's changed into something different. There's an honor of respect that comes over Brian because now he has his uniform on and he's identified now that has a authority. You understand what I'm saying? Even though I know he's my nephew, and even though we go fishing and we can laugh, but as soon as he puts that on, he has authority. And not so much today, and I hate to even say that, but not so much today. Why does he have authority? Because he has the backing by the government, by you and I, and he has that a backing, and that backing means he has permission and authority and support of the government. It's the same way with you, that you are clothed with God. The Bible says that don't you know that you are the royal priesthood, people belonging to God. The DNA that's in you right now is the clothing in the spirit of God that gives you authority to walk with confidence because you have the backing of Christ. And if God is for you, then who can be against you? Right? So you have that authority. When you become a believer in Christ, you receive his backing and his authority to go and preach and teach to the lost. That God gives you that commission and that ability to do that. You say, well, pastor, man, I, I, I don't know what to say. Hey, all God says, open your mouth and he'll fill it. If God can use a donkey, he can use you. All you have to do is open your mouth and be available and God will use you. But you ever notice this? I love this. In Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, here's what I'm talking about, how God gives you the authority. He says this, when Jesus had called the 12 together, 
He gave, how I many you know, gave, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure the diseases. You see, listen, he gave. Whatever God gives you, he never takes away. Some of you may feel like he's taking his power away from you. And the only reason why you feel that is maybe because God is not pouring more because you're not using what you have already. And so, therefore, because you're not using what you have, why do you think God is going to give you fresh manna or do wine if you're going to still be in your old wineskins? And you're not using what God has given you to minister now. God is not a wasteful God. He's not going to pour out his spirit upon you if you're not going to use what you have already. God replenishes when you use what you have so he can pour new, pour more oil, pour new wine into new wineskins. New wineskins become new when you let go of the old of already what's in you so you can receive new from him. He says, listen, but then he goes on to say this. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. See what he said? I send them out in authority. I need to move quickly. Whenever Jesus gives us something, it always has to have a purpose in mind. It always has a purpose in mind. Number one. He gave us himself to save the world. God so loved the world, John 3, 16. It had a purpose. I'm going to give myself to save the which is lost. He gave his word to guide us. Thy word have I hidden in the heart that I might not sin against God. He gave us the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to comfort us in our time of need, in our sickness, in our sorrow, in our pain right now. He gave us his authority to be an influence for him. That's what God gave us. His authority to be an influence to others. Now, let me ask you, who do you know that don't know Jesus? And if they don't know Jesus, can I ask you another question? Why don't they know Jesus? You have an opportunity to be an influence in those who do not know Jesus. And God said, I've given you authority. I've given you the ability to do that which I've called you to do. So why are you not doing it? I'm afraid. I don't understand. I don't know the Bible. doesn't know the Bible. People don't want to know the Bible. They want to see your experience. They want to know what God did for you so they can have that same experience. But watch this. In Acts chapter 1, go ahead, Andrew, go ahead. I'm going to get ready to close. We're not going to go. Acts chapter 1, hear Jesus again. At the end of each gospel, you hear the Great Commission, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Right after John is the book of Acts. And then in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Jesus again, Becky, appears to the people in the upper room that are praying and seeking God. They're seeking God. And they're praying, God, be with us. God, help us. Look at what Jesus' response again was. He says this, and he said to them, is it not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, what he's telling the people, what he's telling to us, it's not for you to know when I'm going to come. If we knew that Jesus is coming tomorrow at 6 o'clock in the morning, guess what? The sinner would wait till 5.59 and give their heart to Jesus just prior to Jesus' coming. But Jesus doesn't come and he keeps you in suspense so that we're preparing and we're ready and our bags are packed when he does come. But here's what he does. He says this in verse 8. Now, I love this. 
He says, but you will receive power, you and I. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, when you ask Jesus in your heart, the Holy Spirit came into your life. Don't you know you are a temple of God and God's Spirit lives in you? The Holy Spirit came into your life. But not to be dormant, not to just sit there and be, a, like I said the other day, the, the dead sea. But he says this. You receive the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. A witness means being a life example of Christ. That I'm a depiction of who Christ is. You ever heard the saying, like father like son, like mother like daughter? Man, your daughter is so much like you. Your son is so much like you. In other words, they act like you. They take on the characteristics of you. They may even look like you. That's what a witness is. That you act and you witness and you be the example of Christ. But then he goes on to say, he doesn't just say isolate it in one area. He said in Jerusalem. And in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in other words, what he's saying, he's saying, listen, don't just be singular in your approach. Wherever you are, grocery store, gas station, let people know. I'm jumping way ahead, so go all the way to the last page, and I'm going to close. You know, uh, I love this. In, in Psalms 139, David says these words. And the reason why I'm going here is because I want to assure you that when you go, Ethan, you're not going empty-handed. You're not going empty-handed. God will never guide you where he can't provide for you. He'll never direct you where he can't protect you. He's always where you are. What he appoints, he anoints. And so what he says here, watch what David the psalmist is saying. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Then he goes on to say, watch this. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, and even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will, what? Will hold me fast. So in other words... Wherever God guides you, asks you to go, or requires you to do something, he is always there. So if that's the case, you have your notes. No matter where you go, who you are with, God is always with you. His purpose for being with you always is not to always look over your shoulder, but to give you assurance that you can do it. I always hear kids say, my mom and dad are always looking over my shoulder. They don't trust me. That's what God doesn't do. He just wants to assure you that you can make it. I close with a story. Seven years ago, when I uh, was at North Central, North Central Bible College, North Central University now, you all know I played basketball, but what you may not know is that my father, my natural father, as you know, I had three fathers, three mothers, but my real father had never seen me play basketball before. All through my elementary days, my junior high days, even in high school when I got recruited, he never seen me play basketball. Never. He didn't even know, that Bob, that I could even play. He didn't even know that I got a scholarship in high school to go play at Racine St. Catharines, and he had no idea about who I was in basketball until 
he came to North Central University to watch me play in the national championship. And we played in the national championship, and man, I was very successful and very was an opportunity to do some great things during that tournament. At the end of the tournament, they hand out awards to the MVP and all the different players for the tournament players and all these things. And I'm in the stands and the places, Dave, is just packed, just packed. And my dad was probably four rows behind me, and I was sitting with all the players. And the people that were running the tournament walked out to half court where the circle is, and they began to announce the tournament winners or the tournament players. And they got all the way down to all the different tournament players, and I think it was ten my name wasn't called. They got to the last person to announce. The MVP of the national tournament, Craig Johnson. I'll never forget. I walked down those bleachers and I was freaking out. They had a trophy. It was about two feet high that I won this MVP, national MVP trophy. Unaware, guys, I, I walked out the center court, and I'm walking. And, you know, when you're walking in front of a crowd, everybody's clapping and cheering and making all kinds of noise. I'm nervous. I can barely walk to get to the circle to get my trophy. And as I'm walking to get my trophy, unaware, Pat, unaware of what was going on, I walk and I receive my trophy. I turn around. For the first time, now you got to get this, the first time ever, there was my dad. As I was coming down the bleachers, so was my dad. And I turned around and my dad was right there. And he grabbed me and he hugged me. And he said, son, I am so proud of you. And then he said these words that my father would never let him come off his lips. He said, son, not only am I so proud of you, but son, I love you. He embraced me, man. He hugged me. And we're standing at half court. The whole crowd is going crazy. And I'm crying my eyes out. Nobody in the stands knows that my father never told me he loved me. And now we're standing there. And son, I love you. I held up my trophy, not just being an MVP in that tournament, but I felt like an MVP with my dad. Here's why I said that. He's the proud daddy. Jesus, Mary, is the proud daddy. In the stands, watching you. You, right there, watching you. In the game of life, Sarah, assuring you that you can and you will make it, do it, and win it for him. That's what God wants to do in your life.
You can. He's given you that authority. Rise up and do it. Will you stand with me? God is so good. Man, I didn't, only got to scratch the surface today. I get so much in me. I, I write my sermons on Thursday. By Sunday, I, I'm like a big old balloon. I move from a, a balloon to one of those bouncing balls. Like, and I only got one opportunity to vomit on you. That's Sundays. Amen. But I want to do something. I want to deposit something in you. I just talk about sports a lot of times because sports is part of my life. But Vince Lombardi, when he took over the Green Bay Packers, they were losers. Now they're winners. But they were losers. And people always look at their helmets and think that the G stands for Green Bay. Obviously, that would be the thing that you would think. Not the case. The G on the helmet of the Packers represent great. That Vince Lombardi had this thought that I got to turn their thinking around from losers into something great. And what he did, he put G's on their helmet and he told the players that every time, Molly, you see the G, you look at that player as great. And you know the legacy of Vince Lombardi. They went on the one, many, many Super Bowls. That's why they call it Title Town. Sorry, Viking fans. Just kidding. And you know what? You, Phil, put on the helmet of salvation with the G on your helmet saying, you, Dave, are great. And he wants to deposit that in your life. He wants to put that in you. So, Father, this morning, I speak into every individual here today that they are great, mighty, and awesome. They are giant slayers for God. That they are not limited to time, place, or things. All things are possible for those who believe. And I pray in the name of Jesus that right now that you will raise up these warriors to be confident, to be powerful and assured that, God, they can jump over buildings. They can be Superman coming out of his phone booth because, God, you are with them. They don't have to be worried about what people think, say, or do. It's all that matters is what you think of them. So I pray that, God, you'd give them the boldness, Proverbs 28, 1, the boldness of a lion to proclaim to proclaim, to proclaim your name. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Help us, Lord, to become workers. Help us to be doers of the kingdom. And we thank you, Father. Bless him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, now give the Lord praise. Amen. I want to say this. God bless you today. God bless you. I know I go over time, and I thank you. I, we're going to the poorhouse. I hope to see you there. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's message. If this message has encouraged you in any way, please consider giving to Adventure Church to help continue this ministry. Giving is safe and easy through our website at www.adventurechurchsiren.com. Thank you for your generous support.